0: going through it i was like who are my role models (laughs) like who can i look at who's been where i am and they did it and i was not finding anyone like no one i was like who's a black single mom no degree who's made it um so i didn't have anyone no degree no problem any problem we can solve them keeps us evolving. growing yeah. in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know
1: where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep tits to yourselves. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So today's guest is Nakima Prophet, who is a developer advocate at PayPal. So can you describe what a developer advocate does and what kind of what (laughs) you do? Because that's a job that a lot of people without college degrees just haven't heard about. I mean, a lot of people don't even know it's a job.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's one of those roles that kind of became hot (laughs) recently. So developer advocates are a part of what's called... Developer Relations, we call it DevRel for short. Um, it varies a lot based on what company you're with or what organiz- organization you're working with. We at PayPal, we are focused a lot on content creation, making video walkthroughs. We are technically engineers. We're a part of the engineering org At PayPal, but we like to think about it as code, content, outreach. There's a lot. I mean, it depends a lot on where you are, but developer advocates are really there to advocate for the developers using our products. So that means showing up for them, making sure that documentation is clear, making sure that code samples are up to date and really being in the community and a part of the community in a way that developers appreciate because we don't like being sold to. (laughs) We don't want to be sold to someone who doesn't understand the product
1: that we're working with. That's cool. And that sounds pretty fun. And I know you've had an extremely long journey and that you've kind of been going through. So let's kind of take it back to high school. Like how is high school like for you? And what'd you want to be in high school?
0: Before I answer that, I just want to say I have ADHD. So I will be rocking and swaying and probably not making eye contact the whole time. Um, I think that's important <laughs> to my story. But yeah, high school, I wanted to be a, a professional dancer. So I had spent my whole high school and like my preteen days dancing. And I actually started old. (laughs) Like I started dancing at a later age than most people get started. Yeah, I wanted to be a dancer. I made sure that everything that I was doing was working towards that. So I went to performing arts public schools because we couldn't afford to take dance classes every day if we had to pay for that. And that was my goal. I was going to leave high school and focus on dance. I was not planning on getting a degree. (laughs) I just wanted to go and continue my dance education. Otherwise, high school was very difficult for me, not academically, but more socially. I never liked school, and I was able to do the work, but I think I have to give some credit (laughs) to past me for having something that for being dedicated to something where I was always moving because I really think that's what made things bearable for me. That's how I kind of survived the mental illness that I had back then. Like school was very hard for me. And now I know that like physical activity (laughs) is really good for your brain. So I wasn't intentionally doing that, but I think just being moving every day really carried me through what was hard about school. But again, academically, I was fine. I was one of the so-called gifted kids. (laughs) Um, I left that behind. I left that program behind in elementary school because I wanted to dance. The school that had dance did not have uh, gifted and talented program. That's actually partly why I don't talk about this all the time. It's so long ago, but I went to that school and I I skipped half a grade. So I went in as a seventh grader and I graduated the same year. But yeah, so academically I could do it, but it was, I think it was the social and just the kind of I wanted to do my own thing. I never wanted to be on someone else's schedule. I never want to do things that I feel are compulsory, but I'm not interested in them. Like, I don't see the value in this. So why do I have to do it? So I've always had that about school. It's just like, you're telling me to do stuff I don't care about. Again, (laughs) that's where the ADHD kicks in. And that wasn't diagnosed until much later on.
1: Yeah. You know, so I spoke to a friend of mine with ADHD yesterday. He said the same thing. He said like (laughs) word for word. He's like, I don't see the value in doing things that I'm not interested in or don't make sense to me. And he's older than me in his 30s. And he's like, I just sort of got diagnosed. And he mentioned how at work his feedback was like, you're not good at following directions. (laughs) At school, his feedback was... He, and he was like, now it's starting to make a little more sense. So thank you for, kind of for sharing that because it's one, that, it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't know until they're in their thirties and then Definitely. they kind of have to like look back at their life and they're like, okay, that's why I was that way. Or that's why I kind of struggled with this aspect. So now you got through high school and did you continue professional dancing or what's the situation with that? Okay. So
0: I wasn't a professional when I left high school, I did get accepted to two programs where I could study dance. I got accepted to CalArts in California, <laughs> the California Institute of the Arts. Uh, we call it CalArts for short. And I got accepted to the Ailey School program. And I know a lot of people don't know what that is, but it's Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. I think that's what the company's called. Um, Alvin Ailey's Dance Company, they also run a school. And there are kind of two tracks for post-secondary. There's a BFA with Fordham University. And there's like their own certificate um, and independent study program. So I got accepted to the certificate program. I did not apply for Fordham. So and I think I knew back then that my grades were not, they weren't the best. Like, I, I don't think I would have qualified for a UC or even a state college after graduation. So I had a choice between two certificate programs, basically, because I wasn't going for BFA at CalArts either. And I chose Ailey. I chose the Ailey School because it was in New York and I was just really thinking it's closer, like it's closer to like the professional dance world than a college campus would be. Because our our school, the Ailey School, like the BFA students were in the same classes as we were for dance classes. So, yeah, I moved to New York. I took a year off of high school because I graduated early and I didn't really, was it a year off? At least half a year off. Yeah, I think that summer I went to New York to attend Ailey School.
1: Okay. So how how was that school like for you?
0: (laughs) It was really hard. I went for the summer, the summer intensive program. And then my first real full semester was fall of 2001. And what happened in fall of 2001 was 9-11. That was devastating for all of us I mean it's I feel like especially for those of us who were in New York at the time and I was already kind of struggling I still have a lot of social anxiety I had that all through (laughs) my dancing and again like it's weird for someone who was so shy so introverted to want to do a performing art but again I think that's Kind of what saved me. Like, that's what pulled me through a lot of hard times was just having a goal and wanting to be good at something, I guess, and also moving my body. And I identify as an artist. So it brought me through a lot of hard times. I was living in Jersey City actually at the time. So my commute to school got a lot worse. Um, after 9-11, I was already somewhat struggling in school. So it got to be too much. And I left before I even finished one semester at the Ailey School. It was a great experience. (laughs) While it lasted, I mean, it was really amazing to see these dancers that I looked up to up close and just to be a part of that history. Because when I attended, like it was the original school location. Now they have like, a really fancy studio and theater. But yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I'm glad I had it. But I tried to get back <laughs> to dancing. And I think someone warned me. They were like, once you leave, it's going to be really hard to get back. I'll just keep coming to class. <laughs> that actually didn't happen. Because it's one thing to be in a school where you can get student loans and things like that. I had a, a work study job at school. So, it's another thing to have to pay out of pocket and still try to take classes every day. So, I did things like volunteering at some dance studios that I would get credit for free classes, and it it just fizzled out. I I couldn't afford it, but I wanted to stay in New York and I wanted to get back to it. I kept going and then I stopped. I ended up just trying to work, trying to make money. And funny thing about working (laughs) for money is you don't have a lot of time or energy to do other things. You know, I did take college classes, I think after yeah, after I left Ailey, I'm not sure how long it was, but I started attending City Tech in Brooklyn. Uh, which is part of the CUNY system. But I attended there. I went to so many of the, <laughs> the city schools. I went to what's called? City Tech, then Hunter College, then Brooklyn College. And at Hunter, I got to dance again. I started taking some dance classes. That was cool. I, I don't know. I moved to Brooklyn College because I moved to that area. Like I could walk <laughs> to school from there. That's why I transferred there. But yeah, I've done a little bit of college like all along the way. <laughs> even took a class like when I was still in high school. Failed that class because I didn't withdraw from it. Um, I also took summer dance classes when I was in, still in Sacramento at the, the community college. I tried to stay in New York and the story changes when I got pregnant, <laughs> basically. That's when things shift a lot.
1: So- How how do you think? Well, obviously, I kind of have an idea, right? Kids really change. So, when you got pregnant, what sort of went through your mind? Is it like, hey, because I could imagine dancing, well, especially when you're pregnant late, not feasible, or I don't think it would be good for all that shaking. So, what kind of went through your mind when you got pregnant?
0: By that time, I think I wasn't even trying to dance anymore. I studied, I did a self-study for a pharmacy tech certification. So I got certified as a pharmacy tech. And I was like, that'll be decent money if I can, you know, work in a hospital um, setting. But I never found, (laughs) funny thing is like, after I moved back to Sacramento, I got called back for a pharmacy tech role in a hospital. I ended up working in retail at Eckerd which is now Rite Aid, didn't pay me much. <laughs> I was making like 7 $8 an hour. I think I got up to eight fifty, And I was like trying to do these technical things. I'd worked in New York. All of my jobs were in bakeries, <laughs> which is weird. I worked at like four different bakeries before I, I worked at, at Rite Aid. And I also worked as a I don't know. I answered phones for three one one. I forget what the role is.
1: Oh, the hot the hotline, whatever the customer yeah, service the line. Yeah,
0: three Yeah, like the. Yeah, really
1: people. nice. I will tell you. <laughs> I could imagine you doing it because every three one one person is so friendly and nice and helpful.
0: <laughs> I was nice, but it was also a little. It was stressful because you know sometimes like we had to be ready to redirect people to nine one one. So if, if people were reporting a crime, even if it was like. Hey, there's people graffiti like they're they're doing graffiti over here. It's like okay, we have to transfer you to nine one one, and they're like they don't want to call nine one one for that. And then some people are mean.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so it's unfortunately, like, that's yeah. NYC. I know there are a lot of mean.
0: <laughs> there were some there were some funny calls though too. Someone called about a rat in their house, and they're like it's looking at me. I was like, yeah, that was one of the funny ones. Um but yeah I worked at 311. I think that was the best paying job I had cuz I got it through school. Um it was like a student call it call center or something. But yeah, I was trying to do these technical things cuz I wanted to make more money. And that was before I got pregnant. I was like, okay, let me study for this pharmacy tech exam. I can make some money with that. And it was cool. Like it was like I wasn't a pharmacist, so it wasn't like stressful in the sense of I might hurt someone. But I did have to pay a lot of attention, make sure that things were counted correctly, make sure I was ordering the right things, talk to people's insurance. We could not give medical advice or like we couldn't tell people like, oh, you have a a cold, like go take some Sudafed or anything like that. Um, That was like the most, like that was what I had to watch out for is like not telling people things that I shouldn't. But yeah, I did that. And while I was in that job, I was in that job pretty much longer than any of the other jobs I had in New York. It was over a year, I think. And then I got pregnant and that changed my whole perspective because I had to decide what I was going to do with myself. (laughs) First of all, I had to decide, am I going to stay here in New York? I was already struggling, but I did have ties here. Like I had a an apartment, like I had a co-op. My parents, okay, privilege alert. (laughs) My parents like bought this co-op for me to stay in. And like it was fixed up kind of nice. But I didn't feel strongly that I had this support system I needed. So I moved back home. And once I got home, I decided I, I need to do something other than work in bakeries. I need to do something other than being a barista. And I actually, I skipped over that part. But when I was at Hunter College, I wanted to get into the computer science major. I did not have the math requirement for that. So I, I took precalculus to try to work my way up. And I didn't stay there long I think I was, yeah, I was at Brooklyn when I got pregnant, but I wanted, I, I was like, I need to do something that's going to make some money. And I wanted to get on that path to computer science. So I got home back in Sacramento and I was pregnant. I was already <laughs> starting to show. I was, I was still working too while I was starting to show. I, I had moved on from the pharmacy job and I worked in a another, another cafe. Um, and I worked there knowing I was pregnant and I didn't tell them until I had to because they wanted me to carry some heavy stuff. And I was like, can't do it, pregnant. So yeah, I went back home and I was like, I gotta do something. <laughs> I gotta do something that's gonna actually make me money. And I started taking classes at the community college for this certificate that they called Web Developer. So again, I was not going for the degree. (laughs) It would be an an AAS, something like that, from the community college. But I just wanted to get the career certificate. So I started in either 2006 or 2007. But Started that program, it's supposed to be a one year program, but it took me three to four years to finish it. Because I actually had my daughter, and then a year later I had my son. <laughs> so there was that period of of just having two babies. Like, you know, under three, like having two under three is a whole lot. Even having two under five <laughs> is a whole lot. So I was single mom, and just trying to make it over the line with this web developer program. It's funny because that program was so long ago that (laughs) the stuff I was learning back then is not so relevant to what I'm doing now. But I did get some kind of foundation in uh, software engineering because I learned about We had like some, some prerequisites, which were like Unix, Linux. There was like an introductory class where we learned some algorithms with C. I took all the programming classes I could. So I took Java. What was it? Visual Basic. I took like the web, the web classes. It was like HTML. I don't know if we did CSS I don't know if we did CSS, but HTML, maybe CSS, um, JavaScript, PHP, Perl. Yeah, it's a lot of like, I just took whatever, but I I don't think it super prepared me for, for work, the way it was set up. But I did make sure to finish. So I finished that and I got my certificate and then... I was like, okay, got my certificate. Let's go look for a job. I'm going to be a programmer. <laughs> I had like a false start to like near the end of my, near the end of my program. I was supposed to be mentored. There was this program I was a part of and my mentor ghosted me, <laughs> never heard from him again. But yeah, that was like my false start. And then I was like, okay, I finished, finally finished after all these years, finished this program. So I'm going to go get a job. And that, was not possible. (laughs) Like I wanted a remote job because I was a single mom. I I didn't want to leave my kids. I was like, I'm going to go out and get a remote job as a programmer because I know that exists, but it didn't really exist (laughs) for people at my level. It didn't really exist. Yeah, it was a different time. So that was something like 2012,
1: 2013. Yeah, I was looking for remote jobs in like, 2017. And it was still very hard to find.
0: Yeah. And I wrote a blog post about this because, you know, spoiler, I started working in tech in 2020. And I was like, if the pandemic didn't happen and, you know, it's a horrible thing that we're still going through. But if that didn't happen, I don't know that I would have gotten a remote job when I did. Um, But yeah, so my my goal was to get a remote job as a programmer in tech. Um, And that was hard. So I started doing things to try to make it possible. So I got into the community. I started volunteering. I started going to meetups. Yeah, I was just trying to get started. And one of the things that I found myself doing while I was trying to get experience was joining a Startup Weekend. So Startup Weekend is where you take literally a weekend so like maybe like friday night through sunday and you build a startup so i joined startup weekend as a developer <laughs> and interestingly enough i didn't write any code for that i ended up making a an interactive prototype with envision so it looked like an app you could click around and do certain things but it looked really good like i was proud of myself and one of the things that the judges said when they looked at our startup was, oh, the, the user interface is very nice. Um, and we won. <laughs> we won for a moment because we won. And, you know, first I want to say, like, that was this is kind of a turning point again for me was winning the startup weekend because I'd never left my kids for that long before to do something, you know, for myself. Yeah, I never left my kids that long before. I worked really hard, I did a good job. And my history and my tech-focused classes were like, we would always have this project at the end of the semester and I would always get ran over, I'd always be spoken over. Like I didn't get to contribute because I wouldn't stand up for myself. So it was always men. (laughs) Like older men in my group that are like, I'm gonna take over this. You do the you do the styling, right? So I didn't get a whole lot of experience with actually like writing code and shipping it because I let people run over me, bulldoze me. So this was my first time that I was like, I really contributed to this project and I did a good job. So we won, and then literally the next day, what part of our part of our prize was to go to this startup event in the city. Another part of our prize was to present with this cohort that had been working on their own startup ideas. So literally the next day, the person who had the idea for what we were doing said, you know, I'm going to take this idea and go make a a business out of it. So you guys can have the prizes, you know, that you can use it Uh, individually, but I'm going to take this and make the app. Like that was one of the other prizes that you had, like a meeting with the app developer and a lawyer or something like that. So that pissed me off thoroughly, thoroughly. Like I, I don't think I'd ever been that mad (laughs) at anything before that, because I was like, I took my time. I did a great job And now I'm not going to let people run over me anymore. So I think the next day, part of our prizes was um, pitch practice. And the person who decided to take over, she was the point of contact (laughs) for this pitch practice. So I thought it didn't happen until I showed up to the pitch and she presented our project with someone else, her friend who wasn't even on our team. As their own. I ended up getting our team disqualified because I'm like, hell no, you're not going to just take my work and use it and go run off and make a company with it. And they had never seen anything like this before. Like it was not a thing they were prepared for. So they didn't even know how to handle it. So we ended up being disqualified. Second place became first place. And we were able to use the prizes that were individually. Available, so that was a turning point because uh, not only did I feel that I had great things to contribute, but I also felt good for standing up for myself and and standing up for my ideas. That kind of put me on the path to wow. I want to be, I want to be a startup founder myself. So that was another like section of my my journey because the startup idea that I had, and it's actually a company now that I, I need to pick back up because it doesn't make any money. But, um, the idea that I had, it kind of morphed from, I want like a school alternative. I want a school alternative where kids can be self-directed in their education. So that goes back to me hating school (laughs) because I don't like to be told what to do. So I wanted to have a self-directed education school with a section for parents to work because I was still stuck on this. I need to work remotely and I need to be with my kids in a safe way. So that kind of morphed into less of a school to I'm pitching a co-working space that is welcoming to children like it's child inclusive, like they are first class citizens in this world co-working space and i have not seen anyone do that So i still think it's a great idea <laughs> i still i, I don't so really have time to to make it happen right now or the the funds to make it happen because this whole time like i had been struggling financially and i was still trying my hardest to make my company a thing but i got some really great advice and i did I met amazing people. (laughs) I have like really good connections. A lot of good came out of the time that I was working on my startup. But someone gave me some great advice a couple of years ago. And they said, it's really great that you are so passionate about what you're doing, but you have to take care of yourself. So why don't you try to find a job where you'll have your, your health benefits and you'll have, you know, decent, decent wage okay so now I'm starting to cry because and this happens it happens because it's a lot of pain right like I went through a lot and I just kept trying I kept trying but it was hard so this is part of my my superpower which is why I call it a mutant superpower because it's like (sighs) I tend to connect to people with vulnerability so I can't keep it in um yeah it had been a long, painful road, road to get to where I was in like 2018, 2019. So mind you, that's like five five years from when I finished my program. So someone told me like, Nekima, you got to take care of yourself. Let your job be your first investor. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, another turning point. I think I don't know if that was before or after I kind of just started taking that advice, but I got into this program at Lambda School, which is a coding boot camp or coding school. And now they're they're Bloom, Bloom Tech, something like that. But I got this scholarship basically to Lambda School. So it was called the Summer Hackers Program, and it was a 15-week program for women. And it was funded by Jessica Livingston, who was co-founder of Y Combinator. Lambda School was a YC uh, company. So she funded this program for women to, over the summer, learn how to code. And one of the things in her blog post about it was she wanted to see more women who knew how to code so that more women would be startup founders. And I was like, that's me. (laughs) I code and I'm a startup founder. So I applied. I didn't initially get in until literally the day before, (laughs) something like a couple days before uh, the cohort started. So I said, yes. Uh, And Lambda School was like nine to five, Monday through Friday. And it was one of those things that I was always like, that's not accessible. (laughs) That's not accessible to people who like have kids or anyone to take care of. Like, like I was working on things, but I was doing it, you know, when I had time. Like if I have to wake up earlier, the kids are sleeping or whatever. So I never thought it was accessible. But this program was better than free because they were giving us $9,000 stipend, I think. And it was split up. Into three payments. So I was like, this is better than free. I can, you know, use some of that money, pay, pay my sister to help me. I'm gonna get through it. And this program also, you have the option to go beyond the 15 weeks because we started at the same time as like one of the cohorts. You had the option to like do the whole thing. If you wanted to finish out the program at Lambda School, you could. So I got there. And you know, I already knew how to code. I hadn't done like modern stuff, but it wasn't hard for me. I was fine. I was getting through all my assignments quickly. Like it was fine, but I didn't like what I saw. I'm not making a moral judgment on income share agreements. I think it's it's fine. It's like a loan, you know, it's whatever, but income share agreements I think can be predatory. Um, and yes, that's what definitely. I thought I saw at Lambda school, because this was a program that cost 30 K if you were on a, a, an income share agreement and it, it was 20 K if you paid cash. So I think they changed that to make them the same. I think they had to do that, but $30,000. We're in the no degree. That's a lot. We're on the no degree podcast, yeah. <laughs> like, Thirty thousand dollars for something that's not even going to get you a degree, and I was on the inside, and I was like, "No way is it worth this." And the payment agreement was, you're going to pay back seventeen percent of your income after you get a job making a job in tech, making over fifty thousand
1: dollars. Well, I have a question. So, is that seventeen percent? Is it pre tax or is it? Like, after taxes, because that, like, I don't know, one, one is ends up being, like, 30% of your income, you know, if you count, yeah, if it's pre-tax. I tax. think it
0: was after taxes. I think it was, like, what what's on your paycheck? And I didn't think about, you know, I thought back then, I was, like, it's not worth it. And then, that was the main idea back then. It was, like, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth paying back $30,000 for what I'm getting here. And people were struggling badly. Uh, Someone like one of the, the team leads in my program had to step up and basically teach people over the lunch hour. People would skip our official lecture and come to his lunch. So I was like, people are struggling. People are really having a hard time. And it's kind of this environment of like no criticism is allowed, not from the school, but from the students. There was a lot of just very strong supporters where they didn't want to hear anything and they would anyone who had criticism it's like well you're not applying yourself you're just not trying hard enough that put me in a position of privilege because number one I never owed them anything so when I finished there I was finished and I didn't have a bill and number two I was doing fine and I still had criticism so you couldn't say like oh you're just not applying yourself because you don't you're not doing well. But I saw problems and I was doing well. Uh, That was like another turning point because I was like, kind of started some mess (laughs) on Twitter about that and, you know, ended up leaving. I left early and that was another thing that hurt because I'm like, I'm giving up $3,000 because the payments were in threes literally on my son's birthday. But like a week before my son's birthday, because I was like, I've had enough, I got to go. And it was really because I felt like I was in a privileged privileged position. I said what I had to say because I, I later came out, at least on Twitter. I think they they figured out it was me. But it was originally like an anonymous thread where I was just talking about everything that was bothering me about the school. So I like, came out and <laughs> said it was me because people were saying, oh, this person has ulterior motives like the person who posted my stuff anonymously so I was like no, I said it so I said what I had to say I'd gotten you know through most of the, the program because they had it split up between front end and back end and like interview prep in the second half so I was like I got through the front end and I don't want to be a part of this so I left and then that's when I started looking so that was 2019 started looking for my real job in tech. <laughs> and I'd done like little things here and there. I'd volunteered, I'd made like websites for people uh just on the side, but I hadn't had a job as a software engineer. So I I really was active on Twitter at that point. And I I give Twitter a whole lot of credit <laughs> for Everything, like even like when I was working on the startup, like i met really amazing and accomplished people on Twitter and they supported me, like materially supported me, like sponsored me, spoke up for me, opportunities in front of me. So Twitter was huge for me. And so I started looking for a job. I'm like, people can go through Lambda School and get a job. And I can too. (laughs) I can go through with what I have now. So started looking for a job, I actually made a whole job campaign (laughs) out of getting a job. I was counting the days that I was looking and counting my rejections. And when I count rejections, I don't see that as a negative. I think you have to get used to people saying no to you. (laughs) And now that I am almost 40, I've just realized that those no's are sometimes, you know, the best thing for you. Like when you look back, like this opportunity said no, but if I had gone there, I wouldn't have gotten the better thing <laughs> that came later on. So, I've started to embrace rejection. I know that's a strong word, but when people say no to you, it's kind of <laughs> rejection. So, I've learned to embrace it because I just know like what's meant for me is meant for me and if it's too hard, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. So I started counting my rejections and that came from, it was like kind of like a weird pickup artist (laughs) type thing. But there were these guys on YouTube that they were playing this rejection game. So they were trying to get a number of rejections in one day. So they would go up to strangers and ask them for money or like go up to a cute girl and like ask for their number. So they were like intentionally doing things to try to get rejected so I kind of took from that I'm like okay let me rack up my rejections so then I know that I'm actually going out and trying
1: no I mean look I kind of have to have though the first few ones sting but then eventually it's like oh, okay whatever I'll have another one and then the yes has become that much more meaningful you're like wow okay I'm ready and I'm gonna take this yes I'm gonna do what I can with it
0: yeah that's how I see it and so I did get did my whole like hire Nakima campaign on on Twitter, and then yeah, a friend of mine was like, "I'd love to have you on my team," and I joined that startup and it was hourly, it was like part time, and I wasn't really doing a whole lot of engineering. I was mostly mostly working with a the WordPress theme and like adjusting the CSS and stuff. So that lasted for a little bit, and then. I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave here. We're still friends, <laughs> but I'm gonna leave and um, like try to get a full time job. So did another campaign on Twitter, and this time I did it like multiplayer. Like I, I did I think a hundred days of job search <laughs> where we try to get a job in a hundred days. And some people did. Like I was one of them, but there were like a couple of people who got jobs. Out of that, well, not out of that, but we were encouraging them along. Like we were doing resume workshops and like we had a little chat room on the site. So it was really cool to go through that with other people. Um, and then I got my first tech job with a salary and benefits. And I was like, yes. But I always wanted to do developer relations and I was looking for that. You know, I was looking for those. And Things have gotten more, like, more inclusive, I'd say, back, like, since 2019. But there were developer advocates back then, and I wanted to be one. So I would ask, like, are there junior developer advocate roles? Like, I'm looking for a junior developer advocate role. And I would get, oh, and I don't use that word anymore. I don't call myself a junior. Um, but I was back then I was like, I'm looking for a junior developer advocate role. And people are like, does that exist? I don't know if that exists because I think conventionally, like a developer advocate works as a software engineer for a while and then they kind of move over to being a, an advocate because they know they know like personally like what developers or what engineers at that level care about or yeah. What to advocate for? Uh, so back then, I was looking for that, and I was open. I was open to like support engineer or front end engineer, but I got. I did end up getting offers. So the first offer I got was for support engineer, and it was something like fifty four k that they were offering, and I'm in the U S. So fifty four thousand dollars, and no benefits yet because they were still like forming their company in this country. But yeah, so that was the first offer that like, yes, got an offer. At that point I had, again, I had supporters. I went through, yeah, I think that I went through the collab lab too at that point. So after lab to school, before this job, I went through collab lab, which was this program where software engineers come together And they build an app like start to finish and you have mentors to help you along the way, like to, yeah, point you in the right direction. So I had supporters. Someone had set up this, this session with a negotiation expert. And she had said like, I think I got the offer shortly after I talked to her and she said, that's great. I think you can get more. So I was interviewing a lot. Um, so the next offer came in and it was at 1Password. And this was like the, this was a an engineering role. And I think that offer was 75K and, you know, all the benefits and all that. So it's like, ooh, that one's really good. And I'll be, I'll get my my first engineering job. And then the third offer came in. Okay, that's a tip for like, Interviewing for these jobs, like if you have offers, like that's leverage. So if you already have offers, you like have to respond to them. They will usually fast track you. if You're already in the inter- interview process with another company because, yeah, they might want to make an offer instead of like you taking the other one. So they fast track me through the interview process. I got an offer there. And so this offer, I asked for a 100000 I knew the range already. The range was 90 to 120 something like that. So I asked for a hundred and they're like, sure, we'll give you a hundred. And then I traded some of my stock, but they traded some, like as much as I could for more income. So I that brought me up to 105. So I had to choose. I was like, "Do cause this was not a, an inch." You know, so-called technical role. It was not an engineering role. I was a community marketing manager was my title. So I was in marketing and there was no technical requirement for that role. But I was thinking community manager is gonna bring me closer to DevRel, which is what I want to do. And I think that turned out to be true. Um, I do think if I take in the engineering role, I would have had. A couple of years experience like a lot of a lot of DevRel roles are like you have to be <laughs> a developer so that might have been more helpful to me like later on because i would have like the engineering experience to back me up so i went with the highest offer that was an armory and i i worked there for a little over a year i'm talking a lot <laughs> how much no no me? look
1: i'm listening and I think it's really helpful and I think it's good because like I think it's really helpful to especially for people who have rocky journeys, because you see all these stories online where it's like, hey, I broke into tech in three to six months. Yeah. But you know, or not every it's, it's, and a lot of them tend to not have kids, right? It's just a different story. So personally I'm enjoying it and I know the listeners will enjoy it too. So okay. keep on going.
0: Okay. I'm glad you bring that up though, because that's part of why I keep going. It's part of why I speak out. So because when I was going through it, I was like, who are my role models? <laughs> like, who can I look at who's been where I am? And they did it. And I was not finding anyone, like no one. I was like, who's a black single mom? No degree. Who's made it? Um, so I didn't have anyone to look up to. I didn't have anyone to say, well, maybe I can follow her path. So that's part of why I talk about myself often because I also figured out that you will reach people and not realize it like you can be life-changing to someone like the things that you say or just like just being <laughs> just being an existing and like living out loud like that can be inspiring for people that can that can put Others like on a path. So I didn't realize that until people started saying, like, I was there a few years ago. I've been watching your journey, or what you said really helped me out today. I needed to hear that. I was super shy, like, even into adulthood, even when I was trying to dance, like, I was so shy. Like, it was to the point where what I'm doing right now, like, minus the tears, <laughs> like, I could not do this four years ago, even like I would shake, I would sweat, I would tremble in my voice. Like I was really afraid of public speaking and really just a shy person in general, like my whole life. And that's kind of how I got bulldozed (laughs) so many times where it's just like, I can't even speak to these people. Like, uh, so for me to be doing this And the way that I show up on Twitter and Twitter spaces and podcast interviews, like, I have to intentionally do that. (laughs) I have to do it because, like I said, I want to be someone's example that I didn't have. Yeah. And then I also made the decision because, like I said earlier, made some amazing connections. People who know my name, people who want to see me win. And so that has put me in some rooms with influential people, people who I look up to. Uh, they don't know me, right? They're not looking out for, oh, Nakima's is this amazing person. They don't know me. They don't know my face. They don't know my voice. And I think I made a decision somewhere along the line of, if I'm in the room and I have something to say, I have to say it. And if I'm in a room with people who I admire and look up to, they're going to know I was there. So, and that came out of regret. Like I had something to say and I didn't say it or I could have walked up to them and I didn't do it. So yeah, I have made a promise to myself to speak when I have something to say and to show up and be seen. And being seen is so scary. (laughs) So scary for someone who has grown up shy and like hiding. Which again, is weird because I wanted to be a dancer. So I think there's something within me that was like, you want to be seen. But it was like, I'm almost ashamed of it. Like I was almost ashamed of like wanting attention and wanting, wanting uh, praise and those type of things. So yeah, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want people to hear my perspective. So I do it even when it's hard. I do it even when I cry. <laughs> and I was such a disaster- when I first started pitching my company. And I think I learned a lot about myself in that process because if I don't know, like if I don't feel strongly about something, I can't speak on it. Like I can't pitch this company if I don't even know what I want the company to be. So, but those first few times where I would get up in front of a, you know, a crowd and speak or pitch, like I would cry, like cry, cry and people would come up to me after and would congratulate me they would like compliment me and like I really see how passionate you are I'm like what (laughs) you didn't see that that was a disaster so I had to embrace this I had to because it's part of how I show up and it actually people are actually yeah. People are actually moved by that. And I had to just kind of allow it because I didn't, I never wanted to, I never wanted to be the one seen crying <laughs> because like, I never wanted to be soft. Like, I think I tried to create like this barrier, barrier between me and the rest of the world because I didn't want to be attacked. So it's like, if I put on this armor, if I put on this mask, you can attack that, but you won't get to the real me. I just had to accept it. I just had to accept that the real me is awesome at times and people want to see that.
1: No, and you're setting a great example and you're sparring a lot. So wait, I only have like two more questions to ask. But <laughs> you kind of answered all the questions before I even asked them. So I appreciate that. Looking back, well... You had the interview rounds, right? Before this, you were interviewing with some good companies. You were interviewing with like Amazon and all that. Can you kind of (laughs) share that process? Because you had like another campaign for this one.
0: Yeah, I did it again. Because why mess with something that works? And if anyone like listens to this is on Twitter and looking for a job, I just really want to recommend that you go all out (laughs) with this. Like your job search, like if you're on Twitter already, you're looking for a job. When I go to your profile, I should see this person is looking for a job. This is what they're doing. This is what they're looking for. Have a link to your portfolio or your GitHub or your website, your blog. Like let people know what you're looking for. If you're on Twitter and you're looking for a job in tech and you're just posting memes and music videos, or cars, whatever. It's a waste of your social capital. <laughs> Let's put it that yeah. way. I'm big on social capital because that has gotten me to places I could not have gotten to if I had to pay. <laughs> if I had to pay money, I wouldn't have been able to go to these conferences or you know, be a part of these training programs. All of these things that I got through social capital, through showing up, through having people know what I'm trying to do. So if you're on Twitter and you're not using that to to get in front of the hiring managers, what are you doing? Like you're not really looking for a job because Twitter is huge for like tech. Twitter is huge, and it's there so are big. yeah, and people are hired all the times. Like it's harder when you're first getting started, but have a year or two in, and you could just say, I'm looking for my next role. You'll get all of these hiring managers saying, I'm hiring, I'm hiring, I'm hiring. So those hiring managers are already there. So you have to stand out to them. So that's my Twitter rant. Um, so my, the job search for the current job, um, I did actually, I interviewed with Microsoft like before I got my job at Armory didn't pass that one, (laughs) but that was my first, uh, big company interview and surprising. Like you have to sign an NDA (laughs) before you, you do the loop there. I was like, this is weird. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't get through that interview or I didn't, it didn't end up in an offer, but yeah, this time around I had a year at a tech company, but not in an engineering role. Who did I interview? I interviewed with, a bunch of folks, but near the end, it was PayPal and Amazon. I just done a phone screen. I did one phone screen and they were saying, like, let's do another one. I had some <laughs> some contact and support like with the hiring manager, but you know, Amazon has a rough interview process. Like you have to have, like if you're using the star method, you have to have those real results and be able to talk about it. Uh, and just as a developer, I didn't have that. I had only done some work in open source. I worked on, a, on the Spinnaker. What is the website? Is The Spinnaker.io. I worked on that website. Like I took that project. I hadn't had professional software engineering experience. So I already had the offer from PayPal when I was doing the Amazon interviews. And I just decided to drop because the phone screen was hard. (laughs) And I was like, I don't feel like I can do well in this interview right now. And the offer from PayPal was an engineering role. So I'm a software engineer, too, at PayPal. And that really appealed to me because I had done the non-technical role <laughs> and I was like, I want to be an engineer. Like, this is great. Like, I love being in the community, but I want my job to be in engineering. Uh, so that was a plus. And also because they kind of recruited me <laughs> through Twitter. So I was in like this program for Twitter creators where they paid us to do Twitter spaces. So we had to do two a week for a few months and they paid us (laughs) every month. And I got started with those Twitter spaces. uh, I think it was December last year, 2021. And I was so nervous. (laughs) I was so scared. Like I would start open spaces one person would come in and leave like I was so scared I was nervous and I had already done podcasts I'd already done speaking and it it still scared me because it's like this new this new format but yeah so I did that and then I kind of got addicted to spaces I was doing spaces all the time I was having all these topics that I wanted to talk about having really cool people like I wanted to be in DevRel. I opened up a DevRel space. So many people came in and gave great advice and told me about what they do. So it was in one of those spaces where my teammate and my, who would be my manager. And so I started, you know, I started talking to them and like, they were coming to my spaces and my teammate was like, I want to work with you. Like, are you going to apply? Like, so I was really encouraged to apply and I really felt like they valued a lot of what I have to bring because I was so active in the community. I was so active on Twitter. I was bringing these developers together. Uh, So I really think my presence on Twitter had a lot to do with finding that role and getting the offer. But yeah, I definitely use Twitter. (laughs) I use it for my jobs. I use it to get to know people. I happen to like, you know, people in the tech Twitter, especially the DevRel (laughs) Twitter. I happen to like people and it's fun for me. So I just want to say again, like if you're scared, if you're shy, find a way to express yourself. It doesn't have to be Twitter spaces. It doesn't have to be YouTube, TikTok. Like if you're, if you want to write, write, you know, anything you can do to just have a voice. I think if you are shying away from content creation or calling it content creation, you're really into code and you haven't gotten that job yet, like make your code really good. Like write the documentation, like put the visuals in your readme, like show a screencast showing how to use it. Like there are things you can do to stand out and it doesn't have to be speaking. It doesn't have to be any of that, but find a way. Like for me, it was, you know, Twitter spaces didn't always exist. I was tweeting and I was tweeting about what I wanted. And I was tweeting about what I thought about the tech industry. So I just really want to encourage people to find a voice, however you want to express yourself, but do express yourself because we need all perspectives, especially if you are from, you know, an underrepresented group. Minoritized group. Like, we need those perspectives. And I like to say often that tech is not just for, you know, it's not just for men. It's not just for the people who are overrepresented in tech. Like, these products are touching everybody, like billions of people all over the world. So, we need all of those perspectives because otherwise, if we're not in the rooms, if we're not making these decisions, then they will be made for us and they'll be made for us by people who do not understand our experience and how we're interacting with these products. But yeah, that's all I have to say about this job.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to say like, you're one of my favorite Twitter spaces creators on Twitter, because especially when you host things on like, neurodiversity or just devra like i i learned so much and the people you attract and the community you bring they're really good and they're really like they share good content and i'm learning a lot so it's it thank you for doing that and so i have one question so you have a long career <laughs> what would you say you're most proud of
0: i'm proud of sticking to my my standards because Maybe some opportunities have come along that I know are not what I wanted. I'm proud of sticking it out and waiting for the right thing. The right thing for myself and for my family.
1: No, I think that's important, right? Because by not sticking your standards, you accept less. And when you accept less, you don't perform as well. And it's like this feedback loop of then you think that that's what you're worth and all that. And you (laughs) don't shine how you should shine. And then the other question i want to ask is what are your future goals right because you've had a long career but i know you're not done and you have a lot that you want to accomplish so what are the future goals for you
0: um okay future goals so i'm i'm just a baby (laughs) developer advocate i shouldn't say that because i've been told that the value i add is is valuable (laughs) value it is very valuable (laughs) (laughs) um but Yeah, so I shouldn't call myself a baby. But I'm a new developer advocate professionally. So I do want to use this opportunity to work with other engineers at PayPal and level up my my engineering skills. I do think I will be in developer relations for the next couple of years at least. I would like to... Pick up my company and make it something. (laughs) It's kind of stagnant right now. But again, like when I started tearing up here, it was when I had to like shift focus from I want to make this company work to I should get a job. So that is always in the back of my mind. Um, I have a book, (laughs) I have a book to write. Um, People have already bought this book. I need to get it out. So, yeah, my long-term goals are, you know, get some engineering work in for a couple of years. So I feel like I can go to the companies, you know, if I leave PayPal and, you know, I'm not going to be there forever. I know that, you know, when it's time to leave that I feel like I have options to go exactly where I want to go.
1: And I know you'll have a lot of options. So how would people support you? How would people follow you?
0: On Twitter, dev underscore Nikima. On Twitter, I have a GitHub sponsors. My GitHub username is Profen, P-R-O-P-H-E-N, <laughs> and yeah, like pretty much Twitter is where I hang out. You can you can find ways to support me there.
1: Yeah. So for any of you who've loved and enjoyed nakima's story, feel free to sponsor her. We're going to put all the links in the show notes. I want to thank you for your time, Nakima. It was good. I know I've been in a lot of spaces with you, but I've never heard your whole story like that. I've heard bits and pieces and all that. So thank you so much for sharing and taking your time out and sharing with the audience. And I look forward to catching you on a Twitter space probably (laughs) later tonight.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Jindai, for inviting me.
1: Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable, and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated, and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash nodegreeinc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J O N A E D, last name I Q B A L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, no degree.com.